All right. Last week, uh, JC and I, we played paper, rock, scissors, and he, he won, so he got to preach on circumcision. And so, uh, <laughs> and this week, actually, it's, it's sort of a continuation. So I, I do talk about it a little bit, but uh, that is not typically, no, we didn't actually do that this week either, but it, that's not how we decide messages. Uh, what did we learn last week, though? Because it's important because this week is a continuation. So last week, uh, God's talking to Abraham, and he's laying out this covenant and what circumcision means, and then... Uh, this week is Abraham's response. And so we have to know a little bit, what was he talking about last week? So God, he makes this promise, this universal promise. In other words, God's going to do it no matter if people obey or not. So like he is, he's saying, this depends on me. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to father all of these nations are going to come from you based on my promise. I'm going to give you the land of Canaan, uh, and it's going to be awesome. He doesn't say awesome, but that's sort of what he's telling him. I'm going to do all these things for you. And then the sign of these things happening, so the symbol that, that represents I'm doing them, it's not dependent on this. He's saying there already is the promise, but this is the sign. This is the, the reminder. The symbol is circumcision. And so circumcision it is the cutting of the flesh. It was this reminder of, of death, that, that your old self dies. And so we have the theme throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, of, of circumcision of the heart, that God really wants us, he wants us from the inside out to be transformed but there's this outward symbol of the promise that God makes, which is circumcision. And so uh, every male had to be circumcised as this reminder. So verse 10, it says, This is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, which you are to keep. Every one of your males must be circumcised. So he says, okay. And then we have this final piece of the puzzle, this missing piece that we've been waiting for, that Abraham has been very confused about how it was going to come to be falls into place, and he says, I'm going to give you a child through you, you and your wife. Uh, Sarah's going to be, Sarah is going to be called Sarah. She'll be a princess. That's her name. She'll be a princess, and she'll bring uh, many kings through her. Uh, and this is all very stirring news. This is all pretty exciting, probably pretty scary. And uh, because Abraham, he's old. He's really old. He's 99. His wife is 90. And so we're going to pick up Abraham's response to God. So God's told him all these things. And when we do this, we can start to think about how would we respond to God. God is walking you through something or uh, you're experiencing something in life. Uh, how, do we, how do we respond to what God is calling us to? And how do we think about God? How do we think about ourselves? And my hope is when you leave, that you would take away that God makes good on his plans and promises. You'd remember God makes good on his plans and promises, uh, and so we want to go with him. Our goal is to go with God, to say, God, I see that. I want to, as much as I can, and as much as I understand, go with you. As we work through the text, there's going to be four headers. Uh, the four headers are to laugh, laughing, logic, love, and laceration. <laughs> and uh, I was working with Jake Bennett. He's, he's also talking about this topic, and so we were talking about it, and he, he told me these were his headers. That's so helpful. And then I started to laugh, because I felt like this is one of those boards that you see at Target in like, cursive writing, like, live, laugh, love, laceration. <laughs> uh, it's a forever reminder of the promise of God. Anyway, um, but these are the topics. These are, this is how we're going to work through the text, the four L's. So first, laugh or laughing. There are different types of laughter. So laughter is not universal. People laugh for different reasons. So we laugh when things are funny, yes, but we laugh for other things too. Like, like I was thinking about inappropriate times that I've laughed. There are many. And um, one of them was I was, one of my favorite and least favorite is I was in high school and I was playing tennis. So me and my partner, they called us the, the Twin Towers. We were, I'm 6'5", he was 6'2". And in doubles, you know, you're trying to win the point of the net, and then often they're going to try to lob the ball over you. 
But we were so tall, it was very difficult to get the ball over us. Uh, and so we we're playing two teachers, uh, and one was a former head hockey coach at my high school. So we're at practice. So we're, this is like a, just like helping us get better. They're practicing with us. They're not normally there. They're like a special edition. So one's the former hockey coach, and he, I think he's a pretty nice guy, but he uh, has, a, he's very competitive and a little bit explosive. So there's him. And then there was a history teacher who was just kind of curmudgeon He He didn't, I don't know if I ever saw him smile. So these are the two guys we're playing against. And, uh, and I had a history of doing dumb things in tennis. Like I hit my partner many times while serving. Um, and then every time I'd double fault because I was laughing that I hit him. Uh, it was not funny. So anyway, so then, so we're playing this, and I'm, so my point is I'm inaccurate. And we're playing, and they tried to lob it over us. And so I take, they came up a little short, and so I take a step back. And in tennis, you actually want to hit at the people's feet, like a good strategy, because then they have to pop it up, or they just miss it. And so I hit it as hard as I can, of course, because uh, even if it goes out, I still, I still hit it hard. And, um, and so I hit it, and it's probably going 60-plus miles an hour. It's an overhead, and it goes across the net, and it hits the hockey coach right in the face, right here. And he's wearing glasses, and it breaks his glasses, and he starts to bleed. And my partner, who played hockey, so he was like, he was, he was upset with me because he thought this would hurt him. So he looks at me like I'm an idiot. Uh, they're not laughing. I say I'm sorry, but as I say I'm sorry, I start to laugh. <laughs> and then I keep laughing, and then they're getting mad, understandably. But that makes it more funny for me. And so I start laughing until I start to cry. And so I'm on the court. I'm crying. He should be crying. I mean, he's bleeding. And um, my point is, when I started laughing, it was really a self-defense mechanism. Like, it was, it was a little bit funny. But we won the match. They had to forfeit. Um, but, <laughs> but mostly, it was, it was, I was, like, nervous. I didn't know what to do. And I just started to laugh. Uh, and people do that. You'll see that, like, if you've ever been yelled at, you might have laughed. Because one way to... to counteract someone yelling at you, just pretend that it's not happening, just like, it's like a defense mechanism. So that's one laughter. But we do laugh at good jokes. Like laughter, it's good for the soul. Uh, even Proverbs talks about that. It's, it's healthy for the bones. We were sitting at dinner, it was like two months ago, and we were talking about if we had different names, what name we would want. And so people were sharing, and so we get to my four-year-old Moses, and we say, Moses, if you could have a different name, what name would you want? And so he pauses I don't know if he does this on purpose, but he's a little genius. And he looks at me and he goes, Joe Mama. <laughs> the kid's awesome. The kid's awesome. We all laughed. That's Mr. Mo. Uh, so if laughter's good. It's good for us. Abraham, he laughs. And I have an example of, I think, maybe a more accurate laughter in modern day situation of what I think he was laughing like. This is what his laughter is like. Uh, again, about my story about my son Moses, sort of. Uh, this is a little over... A little under six years ago, uh, I was at Windsor Heights with JC, and my wife calls me. She's like, hey, and I could tell something is, she's distressed, something is wrong. I'm like, what is it? What's going on? She says, I'm pregnant. <laughs> I said, what? I'm pregnant. I said, no, I can't, this, this, this can't be. I was in shock. Uh, it felt like a bomb. It felt impossible. It felt miraculous. This was not our first child, so like, I know how, that, how this can happen, <laughs> um, but it just was like this... I don't, this seems incredible. We, at this point in our life, we had just had two other kids join our family, we're so thankful for. We had just purchased a new vehicle to fit our bigger family. Uh, and then uh, she tells me this. And so uh, I start to laugh. And then I say, oh, we're gonna need a bigger van. <laughs> this is, it's not gonna work. Um, and there were other emotions too, it wasn't just that. But, but that laughter, it was like, 
this is so incredible. Like, this cannot be. This seems impossible. And God had to do it. Like, Moses was not a surprise to God. He was a surprise to us. And this is a little bit like Abraham. Verse 17, Abraham fell face down. He laughed. He said to himself, can a child be born to a 100-year-old man? Is this even possible? Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? This is incredible, God. This is incredible. And, and I think the type of laughter that he's feeling is that, God, you're incredible. Like I, this, It seems surreal. It, it is hard for me to process. It's hard to me, for me to understand what you're doing. And I don't think it's a lack of faith. Uh, and what we're going to see, and even the reason we're talking about this, is that Sarah also laughs. But you're going you're to hear in the coming, I think next week, why she laughs. And it's not, it's not humor for her. It's not, a, it's not an awestruck thing like it is for Abraham. I think it's different. Um, and the reason I think that, one of the reasons is what Paul tells us in Romans 4. It says in, in Romans 4.18, he believed, Abraham, he believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations according to what had been spoken. So will your descendants be. He, had not, he did not weaken in the faith when he considered his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old, and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. He didn't waver in his unbelief because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. God said, I'm going to do it, and he believed God. And even in his laughter here, he's believing God. He still trusts God. He doesn't waver. He knows. And there, maybe there's more things there. Like We don't exactly know why he's laughing. Maybe he's like, me and my wife, Like this is a, a new beginning for us. We get to be excited again. I don't know. She's a princess. Uh, here we are. It could have been a lot of things, but he starts to laugh and says, uh, God, he doesn't like go away from this. He actually builds on this theme. He then says, okay, God said, no, your wife Sarah bear your son and you will name him Laughter. This is what Isaac means. The name Isaac actually means Laughter. And I think this is maybe God's sense of humor. He's like, I'm gonna, you laughed, I'm also laughing. This is the name of your son. <laughs> um, and it's a reminder of, of God's joy and his blessing through this child. Probably also a reminder of God's promise to them. And maybe it's even a, a little bit of conviction for them to remind, like, oh, man, I laughed at how crazy this is. And then Sarah laughs, and there's probably a reminder there for her, too, as well. But it was 25 years before this that Abraham received the promise that he'd be the father of many nations. And now, finally, God's telling him how. And this is a good reminder for us because God works often, works ways different than we would fully expect or understand. Like, the path that God has, it's not the same as, as what we would understand. So why are we talking about laughing? There's a long time to talk about one little thing that Abraham did between him and God. I think there's a lot we can learn from the scenario that leads up to this place and then his reaction to what God's doing. It shows a little bit where he's at and helps us understand as we go through life trying to understand what God, how God is working. Um, so what can we learn from Abraham and how he'd fulfill his promise to him, to Abraham? Well, one, we can learn that Abe's expectation and plans were wrong, God's were perfect, and we should want God's plans. So what he thought was supposed to be and going to happen were wrong. The gods were perfect. We should actually desire what God wants. And this is a hard lesson because uh, God is infinite. He's all-knowing. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows all, how all the things fit together. And we do not. But often we think we do or we want to. Like, God, if this would just happen, then, then, uh, then all these, you know, like, God, this thing is good. Why wouldn't you want this, this to be? Why wouldn't you want, you know, this person to come to know you? Uh, why would you want this person to be sick? And so we, we kind of work through these things and we think we know what God's supposed to be doing, but we don't know like God knows. We don't understand what God understands. So I was thinking about examples of this, and so I, I have an example for us as a church, for Walnut Creek. 
This is more of a corporate example than personal. Uh, but as a church, our hope has been that we would, we would plant six to eight churches across Des Moines uh, so that there'd be an opportunity to hear all across the city the good news. And there are other great churches doing this, but I said, we want to do our part. And so we want those churches to be about six to 800 people, to be self-replicating, to, so they'd be spiritually healthy, uh, they'd be self-replicating, they'd be financially secure, that they could plant other churches. Uh, this has been the goal. And I think this is a great goal. It's honoring to God. It gives glory to God in the right way. And it hasn't happened how we drew it up. It hasn't been that way so far. Uh, and so I, wanna, I want us to remember, like, I want you to see one way that God has been working through us as a church and our plan that we thought was good, but God had a different and better plan. We're just trying uh, to catch up. So this was uh, about 2008, 2009. There were some people who had graduated from, from school, and uh, there's this co- little core team that was going to plant a church. And their goal was to go into uh, a little more impoverished area of the city. So they want to be in the Evelyn Davis neighborhood, so that's between Drake and downtown. We had a soccer league there, and so there was some, some good momentum with some of the families there. And so they started doing some door-to-door. Their, their, their team is coalescing. And then, uh, as a church, we bought this camp in West Des Moines. The thought was, hey, we want to start a church out in West Des Moines as well. But actually, we already have this team formed. So let's take this team of people, and instead of going to this neighborhood, let's bring them out to start a church in, uh, at this camp on this, on this property. It's a beautiful place. So it sounded good, um, but God, again, had different plans. So, so God used it. We saw some people come to know the Lord. Uh, but I think what happened more than anything else is that disciples were raised. People matured in their faith. They grew in their faith. Uh, it was a tremendous place. Uh, but eventually they said, okay, this location's not working. No one's coming to check us out unless we meet them and like put them in our car. So let's go somewhere else. Uh, so they started an, another, so this called the West Town Church. So then they moved to 42nd Street. So there's a, a little bit better location uh, right on the interstate. And uh, they kept doing their thing, and God kept, again, they're still slowly growing, and God's maturing them. But what they came to realize is most of the people that they're reaching out to at this church uh, are driving past their church to go to downtown. So downtown at the time, our downtown location was growing fast. And what downtown realized is we don't have the laborers, we don't have the people to disciple the people coming in. Like, we, we can't love, effectively do what God wants us to do with all the people coming through our doors. Uh, and West Town's like, we would take those people, but, but they're going to this other, you know, they're, 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 downtown is a location, not a neighborhood. Does that make sense? They were going to the location. So uh, eventually decided, hey, let's talk to JC. So talk to JC, who's helping lead West Town, and said, we think it would make sense to start another service to bring West Town into downtown that you could love and disciple some of these people. Uh, and I know that at the time, JC felt like this is a failure, like, as a church, we've, we've failed. We had this plan, and it didn't, it's not happening the way that we want it to happen. And so through conversation, through the team, through conversation with him and the Lord, eventually JC thought, I actually think God could use us more there than here. So he became the biggest advocate for Westtown to move downtown. And so eventually they did. They, they helped start the service. And the reason that's awesome, one of the reasons that's awesome, is that JC then eventually came south. He's been a blessing to us to hear. And people in this community group came from West Town to downtown to here. And this is all part of God. Like, God knew that when they first were going to go to the Evelyn Davis neighborhood. We had no idea. We didn't even know this building. You know, we knew nothing of God's plan for us. And so it wasn't our plan. Uh, and so we want to take God's plan and say, God, I think this is what I want you to do, but I'm going to have it open-handed. 
And so as a church, we still want to be a church planting church. We're still praying that God uh, would multiply us, that even by 2025, we'd be ready to, to help support a church plant. Um, so we're still working towards some of those goals. We have planted church in Rhode Island, but it just hasn't been exactly the pathway that we thought it would be. And so we can look back now and say, oh God, that was so good. What you did there was so good. The way we've been doing it downtown is so good. What we've been doing at South is so good. And we could even laugh, like, oh, man, this is, this is good. Not in doubt, but in amazement. The guy is working through his plan. Some Proverbs, they talk about this. Uh, our plan versus God's plan. So this is a corporate, but individually, God's also working like this. So Proverbs 16.9 says, a person's, a, person's heart plans, a person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. God, I'm going to go like this. And God's like, mm, yeah, but I'm, maybe this, maybe a little off, a little different. Or Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans of a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. Ultimately, God is the one who's sovereign, who knows. And then we get to the New Testament. And this one's, the mo- I think, the most helpful, James 4, 13. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll travel to such and such a city, spend a year there, and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. If you're like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, If the Lord wills, he will live to do this or that. Yeah, God, I got this plan. I'm going to do this thing. God says, maybe you're going to do that thing. You should trust me with that thing. That's why Jesus is going to the cross. He says, not my will, done, not my will be done, but your will. He's talking to the Father. Whatever you want, God, I want, to, I want to get behind. I want to be excited what you're excited about. And so we want to go along with God's plans. Make plans, but understand that God is going to be directing us. Second thing we can learn is that we should trust God in the waiting. Trust God in the waiting. This is, it sort of relates but I'm talking about the timing of God. You and I, we look at Abraham's journey, and we think, oh, that's, Abraham's story is amazing. This is like all, how God all fell us together, the timing of it. But if you're Abraham, does it feel amazing? You've got a promise. You've waited 25 years before God comes and says, here's going to be the fulfillment. Uh, not to your 99, you have the baby when you're 100. I share that because I think, obviously, we too wait. You are waiting. There's things that you're waiting for. Um, you know, maybe you're waiting, you have kids, and you're waiting for them and hoping that they would follow Jesus. Maybe you're waiting for a spouse or a promotion at work. Maybe you're looking for, uh, to pay off debt, or you're looking at the south side and thinking, how are we going to reach this community? Or you're at Simpson, or you're, um, maybe you're sick and you want your body to heal, or someone close to you to heal. So we're all waiting to a degree. And so uh, what I think as we wait, what's important for us to recognize is that God, he works through the process, not just the conclusion. So we're looking for the conclusion. We're looking for like the final point. But God's like, I'm working now. I care about the end, but, but I'm really working now. And the ultimate end is that we're going to be with God someday. So that's like, that's the final destination. And you see how the Abraham, because Abraham, he wasn't credited for having his son. He's not credited for Isaac. Like, oh, good, you did it. He's credited that he trusted God up until that point. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God. It was credited for righteousness. Through this, through this process, he believed God. And he, he stumbled along the way, but he believed God. You know, the only way to walk with God is to walk through the process. It's never from here to there immediate. Um, and so for you, whatever you're experiencing, God, he's teaching you. He's, he's working in you. He's developing you. There's, there's expectations and wants, and I would say submit to what God's trying to do. Look for God. Not mystically. It's not like this fantasy, like, ah, uh, 
it's like way out there. It's like, God, you can look and say, God, I've seen you do this. I know they're working. I'm okay not knowing what tomorrow will bring. I want to keep trusting you. Because ultimately, what God wants for you is not the conclusion. He wants you to know Christ. Like, he wants you to, to more and more fully and more and more completely know God. That, like, so that's the ultimate goal. What's the first and greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. So you love God completely. And then every other thing that happens are just an outflow of that love from God. So all these goals, all these, all, the way we take hold of these promises, they're leading back to us knowing and loving the God of the universe. This is God's great desire for us. And so in any of the circumstances that God is working, uh, he may surprise you, and so it's okay to laugh. You can laugh as you, God, God opens your eyes to how he's working. And it may be a long time from now that you look back and say, oh, now I get it, now I see. And it may not be till you're in heaven that you realize what God was trying to do. Okay, let's keep going. Logic, laughter, logic, verses 17 through 19. Abraham fell face down, he laughed, and he said to himself, Can a child be born to a hundred-year-old man? Can Sarah, a ninety-year-old woman, give birth? So Abraham said, Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael were acceptable to you. And God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you should call his name Isaac. I'll establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And so Abbas, he says, God, are you for real? Like, have you seen me with my shirt off? I'm 99. <laughs> like, this is not a great idea. And then he's like, my wife, she should be carrying a cane, not a baby. Like, this is, this is where we're at in life. And so he says, I have a different plan for you, God. Okay. He says, what about Ishmael? Have you considered my son Ishmael? He's young. He's vigorous. He's alive. <laughs> uh, he's a great option. And God says, no, Abraham. Your wife will give you a son. We'll name him Laughter. <laughs> He's a forever promise. It's, all these generations are going to come through him and through his kids. It's, my way is better than your way. Your way is logical, but my way is based on a promise. I'm going to fulfill the promise I've already given. And Abraham, he's tried some things already. I mean, you guys can just, just remember some of these things. Like he went to Egypt and he, he tried to deceive the ruler there because he was afraid. Uh, he, he said, can it come through can this line come through to my slaves? God's like, nope. How about, how about I have a baby with Hagar because it promises through me? God says, no. And now he's like, how about Ishmael? One last, one last chance. This seems good to me. And God says, no. No. And so my question to us is, do we sometimes use logic to try to control God? This seems like it's the best idea to me. My life experience tells me that this is the way it has to go. It must be right. Uh, I know I do this. I just think, well, of course, this is the, this is the common sense thing to do. So how do we wrongly use logic to determine God's will? How do we wrongly use logic? Uh, the first way is by trusting in ourselves. Again, Abraham, he's tried this several times. He's, he's shown ways that he's tried to trust in himself. And I would say today, the primary way that we do this as an American culture, and probably across the world, is we use this, we, we think this way. Uh, I'm a good person. I'm nice. I'm kind. I'm good. And God is loving, forgiving, kind, good, so, of course, one day when I die, he's going to say, come here. He's going to give me a big hug um, because those things are both true. And there are elements of truth in that line of thinking. But ultimately, they're saying is, if I'm good enough, God will love me enough because God is good and I'm good. Uh, but we happen to know the Bible is very clear that no one is good. 
No one's righteous, not even one. That there's, when we sin, there's this big divide between us and God, and there's only one way back, and it's through Christ. Amen. It's the only hope that we have. And so, instead of trusting in our own goodness and our own abilities, we have to say, Lord, because of my sin, I deserve to go to hell, but because of what you did at the cross, I have the opportunity to be with you one day. Jesus took my sin on him, and he offers righteousness for me back. And so we don't have to trust in our own goodness anymore. And, and, and it's not just outside the church. That happens for God's people too. Like when you sin, do you feel like if I, I just got to be good for a while? <laughs> if I can just make it up a little bit. And God's like, no, no, no. I've already paid for it. It's, the deed has been done. Uh, Colossians 2, it says, And you, dead in your trespasses, so dead in your sinning, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made together, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. We were dead, we're made alive. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us and all its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Society says, you have to earn your love. God says, I already, I already love you. Society says, do more. Jesus says, I've done it. It's complete. It's finished. It is finished. Forgiveness, it, it, you know, we, we think, because we're a capitalist society, we think like we, there's, no, there's, there's no such thing as free, right? Like, nothing is free. Um, but it's free to us. It did have a great cost to God the Father, and his son, but, but forgiveness is free for you and I. We put our faith in that. And so how, how do we do this? We trust in ourselves for salvation or to be redeemed with God. Like if I just do enough, God says, no, you don't need to do more. You need to trust me. How else do we wrongly use logic to determine God's will? Well, I think because sometimes we have a bad decision-making rubric. Our thought process on how we make decisions, it, it gets off track. Um, so what does this process look like? And I can fall into this or parts of this. Uh, I think, I'm guessing most of us do. Um, so here's, here's the thought process. Like, I want to do this thing. So questions you'd ask, like a small thing or big thing. You could say, uh, do I want to do it? Yes, I want to do it. Okay, next question. Uh, can I afford it with the time and the money that I have? Is it possible? Oh, I can. Yes, check. Okay. Uh, am I sinning against God by doing this? Or am I going against a command in the Bible? No, I'm not. Okay, I can I can keep going. Uh, am I at peace about it? Like, does God like do I am I do I feel good about this? Am I not convicted? I'm not convicted. Okay, and then we move forward. Like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And uh, I would say that's not a good thought process. We don't want to have that be the way we think about it. Because instead of saying, "Do I want to do it?" a better question is, "Does God want me to do it?" Is this is is God excited about this thing that I'm excited about? Uh, you know, Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 33, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and I'll take care of all your needs. All these things will be added to you. Our first priority is to actually seek God, not ourselves. So what does God want? And what's cool about that question is, is that as we want God more, as we ask God that question, we start to desire God more. And as we desire God more, he actually helps us get the things we want, which is more of him. We experience him more, and then he helps us as we experience this life. That's why Psalm 37 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and I'll give you the desires of your heart. Because the desire is the Lord. And then he's like, Yeah, and, I, and these things that you want, I'm going to keep fulfilling them in you. The next question Is it possible? Can I afford it? Time and money, is it possible? Uh, and I would just say it when you get to that question, go back to the first question uh, Does God want me to do it? But with this, I think sometimes people use this question to think, uh, especially with big decisions. Like, I'm going to do this decision until it's clear that I shouldn't. Like, God's going to stop me from doing this thing. 
And God, there, there are times that God has stopped people. Like Paul, he's on his missionary journey. He says, I want to go to Spain. And God's like, no, I got something else for you. Okay, so God stopped him. And God can do that. But also, God allows us to walk into sin. So like he doesn't stop us. He, 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 there's not a concrete barrier between us and making a bad decision. So, uh, for example, Abraham here, uh, he goes... And his, Sarah's like, you should, you should sleep with Hagar, and then we'll have the line will still come through you. Uh, and, and God allows it. Because at this point, Abraham has not been able to have a, a kid. Is it Sarah's fault or is it Abraham's fault? We don't actually know. And so God allows Abraham to have a baby with Hagar. Any baby is from God. It's miraculous. So, God, so he could just say, well, God opened the door for me and Hagar to have this baby. Okay. Um, but no, God was not for that happening. So just, just, just going by the, the, the rule, like, oh, if, if, until God stops me, I'm going to keep going, is not a good way to think about decisions, big decisions. Uh, third, is there a command in the Bible against it? And I would just ask, is the Bible for it? <laughs> you know, like, is God excited about it? Uh, it's not how close can we get to the line, like, before it's a bad idea. It's just like, yeah, would God be pumped about this? Does the Bible talk about this at all? And then finally, uh, it, it, Instead of saying, am I at peace, ask the question, am I also at peace? And why I add the also in there is because being at peace is actually a really good thing. Like God, it is one indicator of a right decision. So it's not, that's actually a great question to ask. Why I say also at peace? Because competing with peace is our flesh and our heart. Our heart is wicked and deceitful above all else. Satan, it says he's, he's going around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so when you think about those two factors, we can be deceived. We can be tricked. Our flesh is strong. And so I would say, as you're thinking through these other things, am I still at peace? Because if you start with the other process, you might, you might end up at peace. But am I also at peace? God's spirit, it's also meant to lead you into the truth. Uh, and the reason I ask these questions is, is because God is not anti-logic. He just wants us to factor him in. He wants us to, to, to be a part of the process as we, as we make choices in life, big and small. And so as we filter the truth that God exists, that he cares about us, that he has a good plan for us, that he's determining our steps, um, we're using logic, but we want to use God's word, his promises to help guide us. So Paul, he, he talks about this with Timothy a little bit. He says, how should you think about life? He, he tells me, he says, don't get involved in civilian affairs, but live what, what way? Like a soldier. A soldier doing what? trying to please your commanding officer. Jesus, he's your commanding officer. Who are you living for? You want to do whatever Jesus wants you to do. You'd be excited about that. And then he talked about his own life, and he said, I, I, am, I consider my life of no value to myself. No value. This is Acts 20, 24. He says, my purpose is to finish my course in the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of God's grace. I want everyone to know how graceful our God is. I want to finish my life telling people he's good, He's given me an undeserved gift. He loves you enough to give his life at the cross. That's what he's going for. So we want to use logic, just not our logic. We want to filter it through God. Okay. Love. Love. We, we, uh, we see God's love towards each character in the story uh, in these next verses, like, or in, in what he's doing. So he doesn't forget about Abraham, doesn't forget about Sarah or Hagar or Ishmael. Listen, it says what God said. Your wife Sarah will bear, no, your wife Sarah will bear you a son. You'll name him Isaac. I'll confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for his future offspring. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. So he's saying to Abraham, I've heard you. 
I will certainly bless him. I'll make him fruitful. I'll multiply him greatly. He'll father 12 tribal leaders, and I'll make him into a great nation. But I'll confirm my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. When he finished talking with him, God withdrew from Abraham. Okay, so, so God is love. It's not that God does love, which he does, but, but everything about him is love. And so in every interaction with these people, you're seeing the love of God poured out on them. And I think with Abraham, it's the easiest. Like, Abraham, look it. You've made these mistakes. I want to still use you. And I'm going to give you this child, and, and my promises are, are going to come true. And even in your mistakes, he redeems them. So he's a loving God, but he also is a redemptive God. JC mentioned this last week, and I was like, oh, that is so awesome. Circumcision. The instrument that he sinned with, the instrument that he uh, violated Hagar, they violated, violated Sarah, violated God's commands, uh, is then circumcised and becomes the symbol of the new covenant. Isn't that amazing? So God totally redeems Abraham in that act, or we see God's redemption in that act, and he tells him, I'm going to do all these things. I'm going I'm to bless you in all of these ways. And we can take that because, God, uh, we are not too far gone for God. If you're willing to humble yourself and repent, understand that God, he can redeem you. He can restore you. Even the things that you feel are too egregious, he's for you. Second, Sarah. Uh, Sarah, she, uh, she would have been ashamed of her barrenness. Society, this would have been a taboo thing. And so she's, she, you see how she feels about it, even in her bitterness towards Hagar. So Hagar eventually leaves because uh, Sarah's being so mean to her, so terrible to her. So she, she's, she, she has screwed up, and she is a bitter person, at least at this point in her life. And then God says, hey, I'm going to give you a child. I'm going to rename you princess and I'm going to bless you with this thing. So even despite her sin, God says, I want to use you to bring this person into the world, bring Isaac in the world through all these nations that are going to come through. Then you have Hagar. Hagar is the, the servant who's taken advantage of. So Hagar's done nothing wrong in herself. Genesis 16, 11, she runs away, and it, it tells us that God heard her cry for affliction. So she's going through this hard thing. God says, I hear you. And it's actually similar to what he said uh, to Abraham. He says, I've heard you about your son, Ishmael. He says to Hagar, I hear you, and I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to give you this son, and he's actually going to have his own tribes. He's going to be a mighty warrior. He's going to do these things. But right now, I want you to go back. I have, uh, I have a plan for you that maybe doesn't seem to make sense to you, but actually, it's good for you. So go back and submit to Abraham and Sarah. And so she goes back. Then we have Ishmael. He loves Ishmael. Ishmael, he, he's going to be a great nation. So you see him bless Ishmael even in this. He says, I heard you, Abraham. I'm going to do these things for your son. And it's going to be difficult. Actually, these things are hard for Abraham, but they're a blessing to Ishmael. God, he cares about each person. He cares about you. He cares about me. Uh, his love is great. And so he demonstrates his love on the cross, but he demonstrates his love even in these little small things with these people. All right. Fourth, laceration. Uh, and really what I want to point out with laceration is that God tells Abraham to do something, and Abraham says, okay, I, I can do that. I will do that. In fact, not just that I'll do that, I'll do it today. It says, on that very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his household, whether born in his household or purchased from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. God's super clear. Should I wait? No, do it now. And so every person from the littlest to the, to the, the slave, to the person, the foreigner, to, to you, even all the way to you, to you, old man. I thought I was supposed to have a kid. Yes, but in time, like, do you do this now, today? 
do it today, and he obeys completely. Uh, all in all, what we should take away from the story, when Abe, he finally receives the specific promise that God makes good plans, good promises, and we want to go with God. We want to we partner up with him and say, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm going to go with you. I think about this sort of like a, a river uh, uh, with a pretty good current. Uh, going against God, against God's plans, against, against his desires, is sort of like walking upstream because it says God opposes the proud. So like the, the raging water, it's coming at you, and you're just like trudging forward. That's sort of what it's like when we, when we say, I want to do it my way. But the second part of that verse is God gives grace to the humble. So it's, it's the opposite. It's like now I'm going down with the current, and there's still be boulders, there's still be challenges. It's not like, oh, now things are perfect. But God is with you, and he's helping you. It's not the, the drudgery it could have been, because you see, God, he desires me. He, he is loving. He is working with me. And Abraham, in Hebrews 11, it talks about Abraham, he died not getting all the things that he promised because he was looking forward to the final city, the one whose foundations they come, foundations and builder were God. He's looking forward to that day. And so we too can look forward to that day as we go with, go with God. So what are our practical applications? Uh, first is to go with God in big and small decisions. And you might say that's not really practical. Uh, agreed. But how do you do that? Uh, well, to, in order to go with God, you have to know what God wants. You even have to know how, how those decisions are made, so you have to read the word of God. So one would be to read your Bible, saying, God, what are you instructing me, and what's clear here? Uh, second, you need to be in fellowship. Why do you have to be in fellowship? Because one way that God teaches us is through each other. And so you have to be able to get counsel from others, but you can't get counsel from others if they don't know your life. So you have to be in fellowship with other of God's people. And then finally, we have to, to talk to God, pray to God, because God gives us his Holy Spirit. He's in us, and he's going to guide us in all truth. And so we have to talk to God to make good decisions. So go with God um, and think about what, what ways you have to, what things in your life might need to shift or adjust that you don't even understand what that means. Second, repent of your self-reliance. Like, Man, I know I did this, Lord. I did this on my own. Uh, and I'm in this spot now, I would say, repent. God, your life is not over. Turn. Go the other direction. Uh, third, see the love God has for you. If you're in church this morning, what that means is there's a reason that you're in church this morning. Like, it's not a coincidence. Like, certain things have happened in your life that brought you to this moment right now, today, that God has worked, and you've listened. And so I think you look back at all those things and say, God, you really have been faithful to me. You really do love me. Even if you're here and you're like, I'm kind of confused. It's okay, you're here. God brought you here. So think about how God has been faithful to you. See his love for you. And then finally, uh, obey immediately when you know what God wants. Like, yeah, God wants, God wants this in my life. Uh, I, I, this is super clear. And I just say right then and there, okay, Lord, I'm going to do it. Your plan is better than my plan. Okay. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this interaction with Abraham. Lord, for all these things that we can draw, the list we could go on and on about, about um, his life and things that you, you did and when you did it and how you did it, Lord. But I pray that today you'd help us to see how you want to be working in our lives. Lord, that we'd be, we'd be looking at your word. God, we, we would be um, putting ourselves below you, saying, Lord, your way is better. Lord, I pray that wouldn't be abstract, it wouldn't be foreign, it wouldn't feel like it's too hard, but we see, Lord, that you give us your spirit to help us, you give us your word to guide us. Uh, we need more of you, Lord. And I pray ultimately we would grow in our love for you, uh, that, that any of these things would be an overflow of the heart that you've given us and, and, and that um, we need.
Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for this covenant you made with Abraham. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.